Through our national radio program app and website, we are helping people put their faith in God and not in money and possessions. And here's the exciting part for us, encouraging and equipping Christians to have a passionate pursuit for sacrificially living and giving the money entrusted to them. If you believe in and have benefited from FaithFi, would you consider becoming a monthly FaithFi patron? Learn more about the FaithFi patrons membership at faithfi.com and click give. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I am Rob West. Jesus makes it pretty clear in Matthew 6 that we can't serve both God and money. Today we'll talk about a way to make the decision easier, the treasure of giving. Then I'll take your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. Glad you're with us for another edition of Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. So today we're unpacking the treasure principle. Our friend Randy Alcorn wrote a whole book about it with that title. The idea is that where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Now, why is it so important to understand this? Because giving generously breaks the power that money has over us, and it allows us to experience kingdom life more fully. Jesus tells us our hearts become more rooted and attached where we've chosen to invest our material wealth. The treasure principle is real, and it's beautiful. It points the way to an amazing adventure with God. Holding money with an open hand and allowing God to use it is the only way to get free of the grip money has on us, especially in America where abundance causes us to tighten our grip on money. Jesus knew the correlation and told us how to break the connection. We see that in his encounter with the rich young ruler found in three of the four Gospels. That man approached Jesus because he wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. From a place of love, Christ told the man to give his possessions to the poor and follow him so that he would have treasure in heaven. Jesus offered him the path to true freedom. The rich young man was unwilling and walked away sad because he had many possessions. He just couldn't do it. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that money is bad and the rich won't go to heaven. And he wasn't saying we should give everything we have to the poor. He was only revealing what the man treasured in his heart and showing how money gets in the way of surrendering our hearts fully to God. This story offers the powerful hope that God can break the power of money in our lives through our generosity. That's because biblical generosity is also powerful, and it allows you to discover the freedom it brings to your financial life and the blessing it offers to the world around you. When we allow God's grace to loosen the grip we have on our stuff, we have the privilege of being an agent of grace in others' lives. In his book, Never Enough, financial author Ron Blue tells how he once experienced this gift of grace through giving in a fast food restaurant. He was at a Chick-fil-A eating breakfast, as he often did. He came to know a woman named Rachel, who regularly took his order. She was friendly, always welcoming Ron with a smile. That particular day, he thought, I wonder if Rachel can take tips. Ron looked at the 20s in his wallet and thought, I'll give her a 20. 
Just then, Ron says, the Holy Spirit interrupted his thoughts, calling him a cheapskate. You have plenty of 20s. Why not give her five of them? So instead of a single 20, he obediently folded over five of them so she couldn't see the amount. He handed them to her and walked out, feeling good about yielding to the Spirit's prompting. But that's only half the story. You see, the next week, Ron was back, and Rachel pulled him aside. She said, thank you so much for the money. I needed new tires and really thought I'd use your gift to buy them. But that day, my daughter came home from school and told me about a classmate who had lost everything in an apartment fire the night before. I knew that her family needed the money worse than I did, so I gave them the $100 instead. Naturally, Ron was surprised as Rachel went on to share more of her story. You see, she was a mother of five who had moved to the U.S. from Central America to give her children a chance for a better life. Although she certainly could have used that money, her heart was on the lookout for ways to bless others. Ron was humbly and profoundly reminded of the power of generosity. He says that he'd given out of his abundance, but Rachel turned around and gave out of her poverty. She had very little and really needed those tires, but took action to love her neighbor sacrificially. Ron says he was stunned by the grace of the kingdom. Moving a little bit of treasure toward eternity had a huge impact on his heart. It reminded him again that giving breaks the power of money. You see, giving always breaks the power of money, transforming our hearts in the process. That is is the treasure principle. All right, your calls are next at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. By the way, you can call that number 24-7. You're listening to Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Stay tuned. There's much more just around the corner, including your questions. At Faith and Finance, we're on a mission to educate, equip, and connect you and many others with the powerful financial answers found in God's Word. We're working to meet people right where they are through national radio programs, our app, website, and other resources. If you've benefited from this program, would you consider becoming a monthly Faith and Finance patron? Check out all of the benefits of a Faith and Finance patron's membership at faithfi.com and click Give on the homepage. My name is Kent, and I'm a member of Christian Healthcare Ministries. I have a friend who actually has great insurance, and she recently had a, a life-threatening experience. And she was laying in the hospital bed afraid, not afraid for her life, but afraid of what her insurance would or would not cover. And as a CHM member, I can honestly say I just never have that fear. I can't tell you the, the peace of mind that provides. Learn more about Christian Healthcare Ministries' biblical cost sharing at chministries.org. Welcome back to Faith and Finance, where biblical wisdom meets today's financial decisions. I'm Rob West. All the lines are full, so sit back and enjoy them. We've got some great questions ready to come your way in just a moment. But first, to Austin, Texas. Hello, Becky. How can I assist you? Uh, hi. I've always been committed to debt-free living, and I recently got married, and my husband, um, plan for retirement is flipping homes. So we took out a loan on our house to get started and I wanted to pay it off. And he said, we need to keep it open for like a line of credit and to be able to keep 
borrowing money to buy investment homes and rent them out. And I just wondered what, how do you know when is too much um, sure, sure. to extend yourself yeah, it, in that arena? It's a great question. And obviously I'd love for you all to be able to do this without encumbering your primary residence for investment purposes, um, especially if you're not both on the same page. Because when we run through kind of the rules for borrowing, if you will, we want to make sure that uh, the uh, the money is being used for productive purposes economically, that the economic cost is less than the economic gain, that uh, there's not any uh, disagreement between husband and wife. And, you know, there's a series of things we want to move through. And so for you all to take on debt, I really do want you to be on the same page. And to the extent either of you is uncomfortable with it, you know, that would be a, a warning sign for me that we need to perhaps hit the pause button. And, you know, I realize you all may be able to do this effectively. Perhaps he has some experience in this. And I realize you're trying to generate retirement income. But, you know, I don't want you to get overextended by any means, especially in a red hot real estate market that could turn over, you know, here in a year or two. Um, so I just want you to proceed carefully. Uh, tell me how the first one has worked out. How much did you borrow and what's happening from a cash flow standpoint? Um, well, it, it went really well. We bought it and sold it and made a good profit, um, which we have used to start our own business. Um, so we didn't, weren't able to use any of the money to pay off the debt, but it did, it was like a good first, you know, sign to, I, I propose the next one we do, we used to put towards our pay off our debt and, um, but he kind of said, well, let's just keep getting more houses. And then, yeah. so I just didn't know, when do you know when that's too much? Like kind of what's a marker for real estate investment? Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd love for you to go into a real estate investment with at least 50% uh, of your own cash. Uh, just because, you know, as we look at investment properties, we're going to have higher interest rates associated with them in a market like this. You're likely paying a premium for the purchase in the first place. And given the fact that you're, you know, encumbering your primary residence, then it's no longer kind of purely a business situation because now your personal finances are involved. Whereas if you were to get loans on the properties themselves and you were able to demonstrate that you could go in with enough cash, which means you've got savings and reserves to put toward that, and they begin to cash flow, then you can kind of separate, if you will, the business side of your real estate investing from your personal finances. And as long as the debt service is covered, plus taxes and insurance and, you know, routine maintenance, and you've got a fund there to kind of cover all of that, then, you know, you could always liquidate those properties and take care of that. But the moment you begin to get your personal finances involved without a good cushion under you, that's where I start to get concerned. Um, so given the fact that you took the proceeds and the profit from this property, you didn't pay off the mortgage, you put it into a business. Now what's going on with that business? And are, are you all having to come out of pocket to service the debt at this point? Um, the business is just in the beginning stages, but it's, I think it's growing and going well, but I, I, yeah, I just kind of trying to 
gauge at what point do you need to so you are are you saying you agree that it would be wise to pay off the equity from our personal home before we proceed in more investment properties? I am. Yeah. I, okay. I would rather you you do that, especially with, you know, taking this and plowing it into a new business and you know, new businesses always take longer than we expect to cash flow. They always take more money than expected. And, you know, it doesn't sound like you have a real significant uh, reserve underneath you that, you know, if things take, you know, more investment to get them going in things like marketing or equipment or, you know, whatever it is, and or we see a, you know, a softening in the economy, that's where things you know, can begin to get out of hand quickly. And so you all continuing to pile on more and more debt to your primary residence without taking care of the debt, you know, along the way, you know, gives me a real concern. So I think, you know, it's fine if you want to take the proceeds and plow it into a new business. But if that means also then adding more debt to your primary residence so you can buy another property, I'd caution against that just based on what I'm hearing about your own personal finances and your ability uh, to fund that. Uh, I would prefer you, uh, you know, take care of that existing debt before you add another penny for another property. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your help. You're very welcome, Becky. Thanks for calling and listening. God bless you. Let's quickly go to Lincolnshire, Illinois. Hi, Denise. How can I help you? Hi, good afternoon. So I just have a very general question. So we're a young couple, and um, just my question is, how would you advise us to or when to start meeting with a financial advisor? Uh, Yeah, I think uh, there's really kind of two pieces to this. The first would be for a financial plan where you begin to look at, do we have the right insurance coverage? And, you know, are we, uh, do we have kids or are we planning to have kids? And if you do, what are we doing to save for college? And, you know, what is our approach to retirement and how much should we be putting away uh, right now, given our other priorities that may be shorter term, perhaps buying a home or paying off student loan debt or any other consumer debt that you have. So I think, you know, there's a case even early in your marriage to go ahead and sit down with a financial advisor perhaps once a year and, um, you know, begin to put that plan together and then update that over time just to make sure you're making wise decisions. Uh, Beyond that would be at what point do you need an advisor to manage investment assets? And I would say when you, you know, pass about $100,000 in investable assets, I would be thinking about hiring an investment advisor to manage that for me. Prior to that, there's some great options out there, soundmindinvesting.org, or you could use a robo advisor solution, um, you know, to uh, take care of that yourself. But even early as a young couple, I'd go ahead and get started with a financial plan. And you can find a CKA on our new website, faithfi.com. That's faithfi.com. And Denise, we appreciate your call today. On to Schaumburg, Illinois. Hi, Tori. How can I assist you? Um, I was calling in because I am at retirement age and I don't think I'm able to retire at this point. So I have about $5,000 and I was wondering what would be my advantage to um, invest in the $5,000 toward my retirement? Yeah, that's a great question. Let's do this. We're headed toward a break, but I've got the lay of the land here. So uh, just on the other side of this break, I'll give you my thoughts on how to think about investments as you're just getting started 
thinking about retirement and you've got a little bit of money to put to work for you. So you hold the line. We'll be back with you in just a moment. We've got a few lines open, 800-525-7000, perhaps one's for you. We'll be back with much more just around the corner. Stay with us. We are grateful for support from LightPoint Portfolios, which seeks out family and faith-friendly investments for 401k and 403b plans, integrating faith values and fiduciary duty. LightPoint Portfolios offers retirement plans for a variety of organizations such as businesses, nonprofits, and churches. And we're grateful for their sponsorship of the MoneyWise program. More information is available at LightPointPortfolios.com. If the heavy burden of debt is robbing you of freedom and peace of mind, Christian Credit Counselors can help. We're a nationwide nonprofit credit counseling organization that has helped over 300,000 individuals in the last 27 years get out of credit card debt 80% faster while honoring that debt in full. To learn how Christian Credit Counselors can help you, visit ChristianCreditCounselors.org. That's ChristianCreditCounselors.org or call 800-557-1985. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. This is Biblical Wisdom for your financial decisions. Let's head right back to the phones. Tori is in Schaumburg, Illinois. Uh, Just before the break, Tori was explaining that she has reached retirement age but is not planning on retiring anytime soon. And Tori, it sounds like you've put aside about $5,000 and you're looking to invest that uh, for, you know, the benefit of uh, being able to access that down the road. Uh, do you have uh, a certain amount that you could put aside in addition to that each month? Um, yes, probably so, yeah. What do you, got a little bit of background noise there. What do you think uh, your margin is each month? Yeah, How I'm, much I'm driving, mention? so I'm sorry. I'm oh, it's okay. I want you to be safe, so I'll, I'll let you uh, just listen and focus on the road. Here's my thought. You know, um, first of all, the very best place to invest for retirement would be a company-sponsored plan. So if you have access to a company-sponsored retirement plan, especially if there's matching, but even if not, I'd see if you could set that up and try to put as much as you can away. A goal would be 10 to 15% of your pay automatically into that account. If you can't do that, then you'd back down from there. If you don't have access, Tori, to a company-sponsored plan, then another great option would be a Roth, or excuse me, uh, heading into retirement, I'd probably use a traditional IRA. That's going to give you a current year tax deduction based on the amount that you contribute. So it's going to reduce your taxable income as you make a contribution. And if you're over the age of 50, you could put in $7,000 for this year and um, then you could do another 7000 next year and beyond. Um, so that would give you the ability to put that money away and get it working for you and get a little bit of a tax benefit in the meantime. Um, you know, as you think about investing those funds, I'd probably check with our friends at soundmindinvesting.org. Uh, they have a wonderful resource that would give you mutual fund suggestions that are low cost, very high quality. You'd be very well diversified, um, even with that $5,000. And then that money could begin to grow. So you'd have something down the road. And if you don't plan to retire anytime soon, as long as you have a 10-year time horizon, uh, then I would say go ahead and get that invested and then be systematic perhaps every month of putting in, you know, if you could do 500 a month, great. 
but I'd look for that company-sponsored plan first and then use the traditional IRA as your second option. And I hope that helps you. All the best to you in the days ahead. On to Birmingham, Alabama. Hi, Judy. How can I help? Hey there. Um, we have about maybe 30 or 35 um, $50 savings bonds that probably five of them are matured. And um, I guess my question is, with the government the way it is and, and the economy, I'm just afraid that, that for some reason they're not really going to get backed when they do mature. And um, should we go ahead and cash them in or, yeah. or just keep holding on to them? Well, I appreciate the question, Judy. You know, I would l- probably cash them in if I were you, not because I would be concerned that the government won't back them, uh, but just because of the interest that you're accruing. You know, if they're double E bonds, they're likely paying you about 0.1%. And, you know, you can do better than that in a high yield savings account. You could get at least, you know, point five. So a half of 1% a year with a completely liquid uh, savings account that's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. Now, you mentioned the economy and whether or not the U.S. You know, will be able to back um, any of this down the road, whether that's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which is part of the U.S. government, or uh, you know, backing their bonds, uh, government-issued bonds. And I would say, you know, if you look at it, um, you know, trusting in the United States government, obviously our trust and faith is in the Lord. But as far as economies go around the world, uh, we are still the biggest and the strongest. Uh, the dollar is still, despite our challenges and the debt that we have in this country and inflation and some of the other headwinds, uh, still the strongest currency, which is why even in the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, uh, you saw the dollar rally uh, because there really is no viable alternative when you look around the world. Doesn't mean we don't have to be wise as a nation in terms of how we handle our monetary policy, but it does mean that um, we still have uh, incredible strength as a nation, economically, monetarily, and otherwise. And uh, as we evaluate risk, again, with our trust squarely placed in the Lord, as we evaluate risk, I think there's a larger risk of you seeing that purchasing power eroded over time because of the inflation and because you're just not earning a whole lot. So if it were me, I would look at cashing these in and see where you could position it, um, you know, by still having U.S. government backing through FDIC, but where you could get instead of 0.1%, 0.5. So I'd check that out and consider perhaps redeeming these and seeing if you could find a bit more yield somewhere else. I hope that helps you. We appreciate you calling today. Uh, let's head to, uh, looks like Brownsburg, Indiana, WGNR. Hi, Mark. How can I help you? How you doing, sir? Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Uh, my question is this. Uh, try to keep it short. Uh, I've uh, put earnest money down on a house, and they're building it. And as I'm looking at them building, some of the, the craftsmanship is substandard. Uh, what what avenue do I have to, you know, rebut this? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, obviously, you have a contract. You have earnest money down. And I would talk to an attorney about that, a, a real estate attorney, to evaluate both the contract to see what legal remedies you have for them to correct whatever issues are there. 
um, and or the ability to pull out of the contract if you're just not happy. Uh, I, I would start with the language of that contract and have a, a professional who represents you, an attorney, uh, take a look at what your rights are and what's spelled out in the contract in terms of being able to remedy what it is that's going on here in terms of you not feeling like uh, the, the craftsmanship and uh, work is being done to your standards. And all of that will be described as a legal matter in that contract so you know what your rights are and then uh, you'll need to proceed however you see fit. Obviously, they want to get this job done and be paid in full beyond just the earnest money. So there's an incentive for them to correct whatever is going on here. Your incentive is not to have to walk away and lose the earnest money. And hopefully, uh, you'll be able to come to a uh, resolution on that. So I would start with the contract, uh, find a godly uh, real estate or contract attorney to assist you. And uh, let us know how that turns out, Mark. We appreciate your call today, and I'm so sorry to hear about the challenges you're facing. Well, folks, uh, we are about out of time today, but we appreciate so much all of your calls. You know, here's what we want to do each day on this broadcast. We want to understand God's heart as it relates to our money because we know there's 2,300 verses in God's Word that deal with money and possessions. And the reason for that is because there's so much to say about our money and our hearts and ultimately our walk with the Lord. Would you come back and join us tomorrow? We'll be here for another edition of Faith and Finance.